0: Welcome one more time to Loud and Clear. This is your host, Francisco Cárdenas. On this episode, we present author, mathematician, ex-publicist businessman, and business philosopher, Richard Tabakuwala. He recently launched his book, Restoring the Soul of Business. And I could try to introduce him as well as Chris Farrell did, but he did a fine job. What I will do is set some context for you. This is the recording of a webinar that our Digital Nerve team put together for all groupers at the Richard's Group on a Friday on the week after George Floyd's death and the middle of the worldwide pandemic COVID-19. With that, I leave you with Chris as he introduces Richard. So take a seat. Grab a drink, relax, and enjoy this episode, which surely will invite you to think about your own resurrection in the middle of what Richard calls the great reinvention.
1: Please join me in giving a warm welcome uh, to our guest, Rashad Tabakawala. Uh, Quick personal story about how I came to know Rashad. Uh, Dale Ruby introduced me to him and his book uh, back in February when we were pitching Direct Auto, which won, by the way. Um, So I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but um, we were discussing and reading a lot of the ideas from his book. Um, It's been incredibly helpful um, these past eight weeks. It's a fantastic read, and it's really been helpful uh, this past week and a half for for me in terms of thinking through change, thinking through um, how to address virtual workplaces and many, many themes that are covered. Uh, Rashad spent his entire 37-year career with Publicist Group, most recently serving as the chief growth officer and chief strategist for the global organization, Tobacco wall was named by Business Week as one of the top business leaders for his pioneering innovation, and Time Magazine dubbed him as one of five marketer innovators. In his He is in the Ad Age Interactive Hall of Fame and has received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Chicago Ad Federation. Rashad is the author of Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data, which helps people think feel, and see differently about how to grow their companies, their teams themselves, and to remain relevant in transformational times. Uh, Rashad is also the chairman of the Tobacco Wallet Foundation, which helps 10,000 people in India gain better healthcare and education. Rashad has a bachelor's degree in mathematics from the University of Bombay and an MBA from the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago. Rashad is being incredibly generous with his time uh, to speak with us today, so please consider purchasing his book, uh, Restoring the Soul of Business, Saying Human in the Age of Data. It's available as a book, audiobook, and ebook. Order from your local bookstore, order from Amazon, from Gloss, from Barnes & Noble, from Target. Uh, please connect with Rashad on Twitter as well as LinkedIn, and uh, just to note that following his talk, we will have a Q&A. The way we will moderate the Q&A is please submit your question in the chat feature of this Zoom. Uh, don't be shy. Ask questions. I'll try to get to as many as possible. Um, and I just wanted to read a quick review from Joe Mandesi, Editor-in-Chief at Media Post, which I thought was really fitting, and, and I fully agree with this review um, of the book. Uh, he, he called Rashad, Madison Avenue's greatest living philosopher, And the book reminds marketers, agencies, and the world's greatest brands that the most meaningful attributes are human ones. So with that, um, please give a warm virtual welcome. Uh, We have several hundred folks gathered right now, Ashad. Uh, Thank you for being here. And I'll uh, turn the microphone over to you. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you for the invitation.
2: And uh, thank you to everybody who has basically joined. Uh, I appreciate your time, especially on a Friday of a long and somewhat, uh, more than somewhat traumatic week, given what has been happening in the United States. Uh, So I am going to speak for the next 30 minutes and then open it up for questions. And in that time, for about 15 minutes, I will talk to you about the book. And then I will apply some of the book's learnings into the world we currently live in And I will basically speak specifically about COVID-19. And if time permits, I will talk a little bit about the past week's uh, challenges. But I may not have time for that, so we'll just – I can obviously take questions on that later. Uh, So the book, as has been mentioned, is uh, called Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in an Age of Data. And there are two points that you should know about me that – are somewhat important before I go off on this uh, screen. Uh, the first is I have a undergraduate degree in advanced mathematics. Uh, the And I also have an MBA in finance from one of the most quantitative schools in the world, which is the University of Chicago. So keep that one fact in mind. Number two, uh, I probably was an early mover in things like digital and data, uh, so I started the first digital agency 25 years ago, uh, and before I left Businesses, the last thing I did was build a case for us to spend four billion dollars to buy Epsilon. So I'm just asking you all to pretend for a second. I know something about data, I know something about digital, I know something about math. Okay, just let's pretend that may be true. So with that being said, why did I write a book called Restoring the Soul of Business, Stay Cubid at the Age of Data? I did so because I began to see major businesses, including my own companies, many of the clients when I was working, but pretty much anybody I looked at or talked to had started losing the plot. People had started fixating on data, on results, on shareholder prices, on bottom lines. And they thought that that was the right thing to do. So for instance, one of the keys was, well, we're living in this data-driven age and data is the new oil, and isn't that great? And I would take them aside and say, I don't think so. And they would say, you're a fool. So I said, all right. So I did some research And I came back with the following findings. Number one, uh, any company that fixates only on data, eventually their stock price starts declining after two to three years. That woke up a lot of folks, right? Number two, companies that focus only on data are much more likely to have very high turnover among their employees. And are more likely than anybody else to get into trouble with the law. Fun. And an example is Wells Fargo. So Wells Fargo was, we're going to keep our stock price up by opening as many accounts as possible, which they did, till it came down to opening fake accounts, accounts that nobody wanted and accounts for dead people. Now, in the last four years, they've had four CEOs. Their share price has plummeted. Think about... So that's a data driven company. But here's the other one. I believe data is so important. It's like when we move from a steam age to an electric age, if you aren't in the electric age and you're still in the steam age, you get yourself into a problem. So I've advised people that data is like electricity. You can't do business without it. On the other hand, yes, data is like electricity. Tell me, how many businesses differentiate themselves today on the way they use electricity? Very few. And so both clients and brands and agencies have become so fixated about data that they thought every one of them was a Google, a Facebook, and Amazon, which by the way, are data driven companies. Uh, But there are very few of those. Most businesses aren't that. But the more important thing is, I have never seen companies not only differentiate, not on data, because data is not a differentiator. It happens to be an essential ingredient. But as importantly, if that was true, then the decision makers, which is you all, tell me of your last 10 decisions that you've made in your life, if, how many of those were primarily data-driven? And if you're like most people, I will say less than three out of 10. Because I believe people choose with their hearts and they use numbers to justify what they just did. And as importantly, if you're in the field of marketing and you're making all your decisions based on data, I will give you something very sad to think about. You won't have a job soon. Because a machine can do a data driven job better than you can. If all you're doing is reading a spreadsheet and announcing what you've read, a machine can do that. Give you an idea. Modern AI was placed to compete versus lawyers on finding out loopholes in an NDA. And all of us have to sign NDAs, clients make us sign NDAs. So NDAs sometimes have loopholes. So we had lawyers look at loopholes on an NDA, and it took the lawyer approximately 10 minutes and most lawyers basically found 97% of the loopholes. It was then done by AI trained like the lawyers it took get seven seconds and they found 99%. 10 minutes versus seven seconds for better efficacy. So in effect, I speak with clients and I say, if you are making decisions only on data, I would like to tell you that you should look for a new job. Now I'm senior, I no longer work in advertising, so I can say stupid things like that. But, But in effect, that is the reality. So, I wanted to basically say that data is extremely important, but not a differentiator. And we have to remember that there's something called the story. And the story is the culture of a place, the purpose of a place, the employees of a place, the values of a place, and the story and the creativity and the magic of a place or a brand or a service. And I believe successful companies combine the two. If someone comes to you and says it's all about the idea and forget about data, I also don't believe they are particularly correct most of the time. Because companies like that is a company called WeWork. WeWork was basically a company built on imagination and marijuana, okay? And one day it was worth $67 billion, which was, by the way, in November of 2019. And then most recently, it was valued by Mayashi Son at $2.7 billion. And I simply ask you this question, how come Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan Chase, who are data-driven organizations, could try to do an IPO of that company with $67 billion evaluation, which was valued six months later at $2.7 billion? They were data open and reality blind. And so I wrote a book that what was really important for anybody in anything was to combine the story and the spreadsheet. So the spreadsheet is important, which is the math of a business and the story of a business. And what I began to realize is this balance was true among all the successful companies. So think of Microsoft during bomber's age, which was a data-driven company, which went nowhere for 10 years. And when the daylight became a data plus people-driven company, looking outside and it basically grew its stock price by four times think about united versus southwest think about the old walmart versus costco successful companies when it comes down to brands value stock market value are companies that combine the two and that was why i said maybe that may be the right model for everything so the book I sort of reinvented what a book is. So while it's been published in all these forms, including globally published by a major publisher, which is Harper Collins. So I followed all the protocol, I have editors, notes, everything, but the book is different because it's, most nonfiction books have one chapter in it. That's good, which is usually the first chapter. And the rest of it is a waste of time because most books are written for authors and not for readers. And I wrote this book to answer the 12 questions I had been asked over the last 10 years all over the world, whether it was from agency people, client people, outside the industry, young people. So I said, let me try to answer these questions. Um, and And then I wrote it in such a way that it's like a Spotify playlist. You can read any chapter in any order because I don't know what's most relevant. So I'm going to make it self-personalized to you. So the good news is the book is doing really well because you pick a chapter you like, you like it. So you say, shit, this must be a good book. And then you read the rest of the book. Right? So it's a very interesting self-personalization. thing. But some of the chapters in the book that'll give you some sort of an idea are what is called too much math, too little meaning, which is how do you actually get information and insights from data? And I show how that gets done or Managing the darker side of brighter screens, which I've reformatted as how do you manage distributed workspaces? So people thought I wrote this book for COVID-19. I finished editing the book in June of 2019. I could not have written it. Okay. But six of the 12 chapters, as someone told me, are COVID-19 optimized. In fact, my publisher says, should we take six of these 12 chapters and call it a COVID-19 book? I said, no, thank you. Because we, this book is for ever book. It's not for whatever is going on in the current time. Among the other chapters which we'll discuss is I have a chapter called the turd on the table, which is how do you tell truth to power? A lot of us sit in meetings and we see something brown and moist in the center of the table and we think it's a brownie, but it's a piece of shit, but we don't call it that, right? So how do you basically create environments that way? But as importantly, in a times like this, why does change suck? So I have a chapter called Change Sucks and how do you manage change, Okay or another one. In fact, today for two hours in the morning, I was talking to this CEO of a global 500 company based out of Amsterdam. And we only talked about change sucks because he was trying to figure out how to drive change in his company. And I was trying to explain to him what I've learned over that. But for all of you all, which is very, very important, and then I'll switch to COVID-19 and apply all of this to COVID-19. There are two things I want to keep you all to keep in mind, which is this, you're working for a great agency you're working for a great company, and if you are fortunate, you will spend many, many years there. I, because I find change sucks, and I'm probably unemployable, I had to spend my entire career at the Pulitzer group for 38 years, okay? But I'm an exception, and despite how good Richard's group might be, you may not stay there your entire career. In fact, the average company remains in the S&P 500 for 15 years. The average person who comes out of school to the time they stop working, it's 50 years. So your career is three times longer than a company survives in the S&P 500. Now, or there may be other things that might happen. You may leave Dallas, you may go somewhere else, or you may have some crazy behaviors like myself. I wanted to be a writer. And I wanted to be a speaker and I didn't want to have bosses or talent or clients. So I started doing this nonsense. Okay. Something might happen to you at some stage. Therefore, what's very, very important. And the one piece of advice I give everyone, because people were asking me, you know, you've been doing this for 40 years and you still seem to know what the hell you're doing. So I said, well, I might be second, pretend that I do. How do I do it? And this is what all of us spend a lot of time worried about what we eat and how much we exercise Because our physical operating systems are very important. We know that because if we get COVID-19, we know how badly a physical operating system can be affected. But what separates all of us from monkeys is not our physical operating system, it's our mental operating system. And how do you upgrade your mental operating system? How do you take time to learn and what do you put in your brain? Have you thought about that? And that is what we've tended to forget. And in today's world of social media and search, I just am trying to remind people that what you put into your brain is being put there by people, sometimes advertisers that we represent. And it's not necessarily what you want to actually put in your brain. So just like you don't eat a whole bunch of junk food every morning, every night, right? And you just don't slouch on a couch. You think about what you eat you should think about what you put in your brain and you should think about what you, how you exercise. And so I have a chapter in my book called how to upgrade your mental operating system, which is how do you make sure that you remain current forever when you have a 30, 40, 50, you know, I've been doing this for 38 years. I hope to work for another 15 to 20 years. If somebody will have me not in a company, but by myself. Right. So that's a 50 year plus career. How do I stay current? How do I do that? So I'll give you three quick tricks. Um, For those of you who don't have the money or the gumption to buy my books, I'll give you free advice because $15 may be too expensive. Uh, So with that being said, one is build a case for the exact opposite of what you think is true. So next time you make a recommendation to a client, to your boss, try to build a case for the exact opposite of what you're recommending. And if you can't build a very strong case, I'm not sure you actually know what you're talking about. The other is spend at least one hour every day learning. Especially now, though, of course, you're still starting to come back to work, but you're still highly distributed. There's a lot of time that you make up. Obviously, I do know that many of you all have to grapple with children at home that you have to educate and a whole bunch of other things. But you don't have, there's some stuff you don't do like travel and transit, etc. Spend an hour learning new things. Because you can't upgrade your mental operating system without refusing to, not learning. And then the other thing is try to do one new thing every day. And the new thing might be talking to a new friend or an f- old friend that you haven't reached out to. The, everybody's at home these days, so you can reach out to them. Uh, taking a walk in a different direction if you're allowed to walk. Watching a new movie. Exact, you know, trying a new TV show. One new thing. Because when you do a new thing, you come alive. It's just like when you're traveling and they cancel your flight and they send you to a different place. You're paying attention but when you're doing the normal thing, you don't. So those are things about how to upgrade your mental operating system, if that makes sense. And the second one is every one of y'all are leaders. So it doesn't matter what your title is, whether you've been in the business for only two years, whether you've been in the business for 35 years, all of y'all are leaders. Uh, Every person, and I don't believe leadership is a title. I believe people follow people. They don't follow titles. And, all of us have both the characteristics of good leaders and of bad leaders. I'm going to talk to you about the good leaders from a chapter in my book called Leading with Soul. And this particular chapter is resonating a lot today with management of companies all over because they're being forced to lead with soul. Okay. Uh, they're also being forced to manage distributed workspaces. So I have a chapter, which is the darker side of brighter screens on how to do that. But leading with soul There are five characteristics of leaders, and these are five that you must work hard to grow. Uh, Number one is capability. People don't follow people who are not capable and competent, which means if you are a leading doctor, you better know medicine. You can't basically say, I feel like, and therefore drink Lysol. It doesn't work, okay? So what tends to basically happen, if you want to give medical advice, you better have a medical degree. So you better have competence and capability right? I would not basically allow myself to write an ad. I would basically turn to my creative teams, even though I consider myself to be creative and exotic, but there's a certain level beyond which I'm not competent. That's why there are other people. So you need competence. The second is you basically need integrity and integrity is, do I trust you? Do I trust the way you make decisions? Do I trust that you actually see reality? So are you data driven? Are you reality driven? Are you transparent? Are you trustworthy? Because if you aren't, how do I know you're making the right decisions? So those are very important. Capability slash competence, capability, and integrity. The third one is empathy. Empathy is extremely important because you have to think about the other person. All of you all today, even before the trauma of George Floyd over the last week, were actually working, not at home, you're working under duress in quarantine. So I try to tell every single management person, hey, the people you're talking to, they're not working from home because I used to work from home. Let me tell you that because when I stopped working full time and I was this crazy guy, starving author, I worked from home. I'm not working from home anymore, especially when I have to basically figure out, is it safe to go to the grocery store and I'm worried about my kids and their health and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and I, I don't have to worry about this, but many people have to worry about they might've been furloughed or they may know people who are furloughed or they may have to take pay cuts, right? And they don't know when this is going to end. So be empathetic that you're not just dealing with business people, you're dealing with human beings. So that's empathy, vulnerability, which is many of us are having to make decisions on the fly with limited information, we probably will make some decisions wrong. And the fifth one is inspiration, which is this is going to get better. How do you inspire people? So those five characteristics and how to build them is in this chapter called Leading with Soul, which is capability, empathy, integrity, vulnerability, and inspiration. (laughs) I'm now going to apply a lot of this to COVID-19 and talk to you a little bit about how the framework of my book has helped me get people to think about this. Uh, and, and this is something that you can use and adapt with your clients. It's all your material. Everything I do is in the public domain. Uh, and I'll show you where you can go and get it. this in more detail. So you can build on, copy, throw up on whatever you want. Okay. So, I believe that COVID-19 is like nothing any of us or our clients have seen, nothing. So a lot of people are making the mistake of basically thinking like this is like the Great Recession, this is like 9-11, this is like SARS and MERS. It is not. Why? The reason it isn't is because of three things. The first is it is a medical, which is a health, a political and a financial crisis all at the same time. That's number one. When you basically have 40 million people unemployed, when you basically have people anxious about stuff, you have a major issue. The second is it is happening to everybody in the world all at the same time. Nothing like that has happened before. From my home country in India, a billion people locked up for 45 days, right? Right? I just did a podcast with some leaders in Korea. They're just finally coming back out of work. I mean, back to work. Here in the U.S., we're slowly, you know, Texas was ahead of Illinois. Illinois opened up. Chicago opened up yesterday. We went into phase three. So the third is all of us have been doing something or stopped doing something for 60 to 90 days. Guess what happens when you do or you don't do something for 60 to 90 days? A new habit forms. So we have formed new habits. Like for instance, I used to travel 140 flights a year. From January to March 12th, when I last traveled, I traveled 28 times. I haven't traveled for three months and I have no interest in ever traveling again. You're gonna have to give me a very strong reason to travel. Now it doesn't mean I won't travel, but will I travel 100% of my previous capacity on business? No, probably 60%. I probably will travel a little bit more on holiday One, because I'm free, but more importantly, I begin to realize that that's the kind of thing I like doing. I'm here. You know what? We may run out of time one day, so we better do those things. But people's behaviors change. So you have people's behaviors change, affected everybody in the world, major crisis. As a result, I believe we're dealing with a fragile society. So I wrote about the fragility of society three weeks ago, and I specifically called out the fragility of society when you come down to African-Americans. Yes, I did. Okay. Because I live in Chicago, and what I began to realize was the following 12% of the population of the United States happens to be African American. 18% of the frontline workers are African American. 33% of Chicago's population is African American. At the end of the first three weeks of COVID-19, 68% of the deaths in Chicago because of COVID-19 was African-American. 12% of, again, 12% of the population of the United States is African-American. 33% of all the prisoners in jail are African-American. Okay, simple. I'm using data to tell a story. And the story is something is, God, I'm screwed up. And I said, COVID-19 is going to basically show, because it's gonna show the fault lines of society. It's gonna show the fault lines of being African-American. It's gonna show the fault line of having to work and your healthcare and your job being lost at the same time and by not having universal healthcare. When 40 million people don't have a job and don't have healthcare, I can assure you there will be universal healthcare, whether it's Trump or Biden or whoever. The third is, Think about the fact that all these frontline workers that we run ads about that are risking their lives, they've been talking about try to give us $15 an hour. $15 an hour basically provides you with less than $1,000 a week. How do families live on that? Bullshit. There's going to be labor. There's going to be unions. There's going to be wages. There's going to be higher taxes. Get ready to it. Society is fragile. It's time to fix it. So that's fragility, business is fragile and obviously individuals are fragile. I then speak a little bit about resilience, right? How business is coming to be resilient, people are coming to be resilient and society is coming to be resilient. And part of my society basic belief is a year from now, we are going to have, regardless of who gets elected, some form of universal healthcare and discussion, at least a reversal of some of the Trump taxes on business, taxes, much higher taxes on billionaires and, the return of wages, blue collar workers, and the fact that when you do something, you actually are more or less replaceable than someone like me who can be zoomed in Skype, which is really good. But guess what? It doesn't matter if I'm in Costa Rica or in India or I'm in Chicago, you'll find a cheap version of me, but you can't get somebody to work at your target who's in Costa Rica. Okay. So these reality things I've started applying from my book into this and a majority of businesses and clients have basically been calling me and say, "Interesting." So the last piece that that provides advice to them, which also encapsulates some of these, is called the Great Reinvention. Resurrect now, okay? Which I wrote around Easter. So, great the Great Reinvention. Resurrect now, and you will find this another bullshit I write at Rashad T dot wordpress.com that's r-i-s-h-a-d-t dot wordpress.com but you should read resurrect now because i'm going to give you a quick idea of what's in it and then you can read the other parts of it there's a piece called address agility there's a piece called sculpting resilience all in this great reinvention series but this is what i would do over the next few days as you all you know continue to zoom skype or work in teams or work with clients. The first thing I would basically do is ask, how has your consumer or customer, or your client's consumer or customer changed because of COVID-19? So what have they start, what are they going to start doing that they weren't doing before? What are they gonna stop doing that they were doing before? What are they going to ask for more about? And what are they going to ask for less about? What may be some new needs that they may have? And to keep you all robust mentally in how to do this, don't first do it with your client or for your client's category. Do it for travel, restaurants, and conferences. Since most of you all travel, most of you all go to restaurants, most of you all go to conferences. Since many of you all are young, or old enough to have kids going to college or young enough to have just graduated in the last five, six years from college. Think about also how college changes, universities. So just say, how's that gonna be different? How's travel going to be different? So how's going to restaurants gonna be different? This is between now and the time we get a vaccine, which is a widely distributed vaccine is 18 months away. Don't believe all this bullshit the politicians are saying. Widely distributed, okay? It doesn't matter if there's a vaccine and 500 people have it. If you and I are still at risk, it doesn't matter if 500 people have it. Uh, so what does that mean? And then apply for your, for your business, for your client's business. The second is do a, do a strength, weakness, opportunity, threat analysis for your business or your client's business. But don't call it strength, weakness, opportunity, threat. Call it shock, resilience, resilience mountains and cesspools analysis so the shock is it's like an asteroid has hit us so therefore their fault line just like you saw fault line in the way we treat minorities right so fault lines and cracks which would break so what are the shocks in your client's business resilience some things may have worked out really well maybe their whole business worked out well some supply lines worked out well people worked out well mountains What new opportunities? Because people's behaviors are different. So there could be some new mountains to take. And then cesspools, there may be some places that we, and craters will be falling into that we don't know. And do that because that gives you that. And then the most important thing after you do the first one, which is looking at the customer consumer changing behavior. The second is obviously looking at yourself. Then help your clients think into the future. And start with basically reminding them of the following two lines. Number one is they are starting up again, they're not restarting. Tell them to put a starting mindset versus a restarting mindset. Why is that? So while I said there's nothing like this, the closest we've had to this in the United States, maybe the 2008, 2009 recession, when people's certain mindsets change, certain mindsets. But at the same time, that's when we entered what I call the second connected age. So one of the chapters in my book is called Thriving in the Third Connected Age. So what are these stupid connected ages? The first connected age was when we were connected to search and connected to uh, e-commerce, Amazon and Google. Remember, 1997. Connect to search, connect to e-commerce, which has clearly changed our business and your client's business. The second connected age occurred around 2007. Uh, So just before the Great Recession, and that was connected all the time because of smartphones and connected to everybody because of social networks. That was the second connected age. Uh, When the second connected age happened, the Great Recession happened at the same time. And what people didn't realize is when they came out of it, many businesses went back to business as usual. So Ford and General Motors, after paying back all their debt, basically started focusing on each other and Chrysler and BMW. But you know what was happening in 2009, 2010 because of all these new technologies and new mindset? Little companies called Uber and Tesla were born. Think about Gillette and Schick. They went back to basically adding more and more blades and making their stuff goddamn expensive so you feel like a shoplifter at Walgreens where you want to go buy the product. But because at that time, social networks were available, faster broadband, YouTube was more useful, companies like Dollar Shave Club and Harry's were born. So the same thing is happening now. We're entering the third connected age where they're going to be for new technologies building on what's already come before. So All those are e-commerce, search, mobile, social, yes, all it's important, but you're going to have AI, which is machine learning, 5G, which is much faster ways of connecting. So data connecting to data is machine learning, much faster ways of connecting is 5G, new ways of connecting our voice and connecting to the cloud. And you see that at home if you happen to have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home. It's connected to the cloud. It uses machine learning. It uses voice as an interface. So you're beginning to see that, and therefore new businesses are going to be born. Massive new technologies, massive new change in customer behavior. And as a result, you want to basically think about how you build new businesses for your clients, keeping just three things in mind you're starting with a fresh sheet of paper and whatever you do has to only have these three constraints. Number one, it has to be legal. Number two, it has to use technology that exists in 2020 or will be widely available in 2021. Number three, it has to make money within three years or less, break even in three years or less. And I'll give you an idea. So I've been working, one of the people I advise is a company called R.B., And RB is known as Ben Benkisar, and they're doing very well because they make Lysol, the solution for COVID-19. They also make Durex condoms whose sales have gone up because I guess people are staying at home and that's what they do, right? Uh, And a bunch of other products. But here's what they've done. They have put together an idea. So they're mounted. So they found certain weaknesses, but they found a lot of resilience in their business. But some of the new mountains is they partnered with Hilton Hotels to make sure that Hilton Hotel rooms are safe. So it's a Lysol Hilton Hotel room partnership. Most recently, Clorox combined with Cleveland Clinic and United Airlines for safe planes. So think about your products and services of your clients in completely different ways, because I believe that people are going to be looking for the following four things. People are gonna be looking for safety, they're going to be looking for security. They're looking for society. How is your company helping society? And this was first, are you looking after your employees? And now after George Floyd, also are you basically, you know, truly not just putting out ads, but doing some things about, you know, the the, the challenges of African-American and minorities. And then they're looking for value and values. So values are obviously the values of the company and value is almost everybody I know feels poorer coming out of this, unless you shorten short of the stock market. And with that, I'll open it up, but you can read that in, um, this blog. If you want to continue, you learn along with me, whenever I learn new stuff, I share it on LinkedIn and I share it on Twitter. So it's at Twitter, it's at Rashad on LinkedIn. It's Rashad at LinkedIn and I, a lonely person, so I accept all in all connections as long as you're not like a crazy person, which you are because you work at Richard's Group. But I will open it up for questions and then if you happen to have $15 uh, saved, I would go right now to Amazon, type in R-I-S-H-A-D and buy my book. I guarantee you it'll make you 10% more productive. So think about whatever you're getting paid. Think 10% of that and then Decide whether it's worth $15
1: or not. Open it up for questions. Awesome. Rashad, thank you. Thank you for speaking with us. That was fantastic. Um, I'll I'll help moderate the Q&A. So team, uh, please submit your questions in the chat feature on Zoom. Um, Corey Austin also shared a link to Rashad's WordPress site. So go ahead and click on that. Um, So many great talks were covered. The idea of combining and find the balance of the story in the spreadsheet. Um, I guess I wanted to start off with a question. Um, it's one of my favorite concepts from your book, and you used a very memorable phrase that you mentioned briefly earlier about how to talk about difficult truths and bringing difficult truths to the table. Can, can you share some advice about that? Absolutely. So
2: the, the chapter is called The Turd of the Table, and my two ex-bosses, because they retired on me is the only reason they're exes, and then I, of course, left the company. Uh, So one of them is called Jack Clues, who set up a lot of the media operations, and the other is Maurice Levy. Uh, They eventually basically decided I had a job because I would go to them and tell them stuff that nobody told them to such an extent that they would often throw me out of their office, literally. They would get red in the face, and they say, if we did not have pity on you that you're completely unemployable, we would have fired you at this extent. Please leave right now. And it wasn't, I wasn't doing anything politically incorrect or saying something stupid. I might've been saying something stupid, but nothing like, you know, not right. That the New York Times would say he's doing something wrong, okay? I would just simply challenge what was going on. And this basically started when I was in a conversation with Satya Nadella, who was the CEO of Adobe 10, 15 years ago. And we were talking about partnering between Adobe and publicists. And I basically said, hey, listen, we're. I'd like to talk about the turd on the table, which is we're going around saying sweet nothings like the brown moist thing in the middle of the table is like a brownie, but it isn't. It's a piece of shit. So let's address it. And that is you have got yourself in the agency business and therefore you've got yourself as a competitor and you're talking about partnering. Explain to me how that works. Okay. And he explained how it worked and he explained why he was doing what he was doing and, Everybody figured out that what he was telling was the truth. And for the last three, four years, we've been their largest partner in the world. But we had to basically go through a very uncomfortable conversation. And so addressing the turn on the table becomes very important for two reasons. The first is, for instance, many of you all in the last week have had to address the turn on the table about the fact that there are many cultures in the United States, and some people are not treated as equal as the others, and we have some issues. But turn on the table might basically be your boss or your client is doing stupid things, right? And I will tell you this, your client does not need an echo. If your job is to echo what your client is doing, they can find a cheaper echo. They can go into a cave and yell at themselves. And we are supposed to go to clients elegantly and say, you're full of shit. Okay. Please say it nicely and elegantly. I don't want you to lose clients and things like that. But how do you tell truth? And, you know, people talk about innovation. You can't have innovation if you have cultures that are scared. You can't have innovation if you're scared of basically being wrong. And so that's this chapter on the turn of the table and how you can actually speak up and how, as a leader, you can make sure that people speak up and how, as someone, like in my earlier days when I was like a sepoy how I actually found ways to speak up without losing my job. Because obviously I don't want to just speak up and lose my job. So there's ways to do it. And that's in that book.
1: Thank you, Rashad. There's a a related uh, question that I I think um, is a good segue. Uh, This one is from Dale. He um, asked about uh, the role of incentive systems and their role in meaningful change. Sure. So in the chapter on change sucks, Uh, I don't think
2: people like change. Okay. Uh, And Dale knows this. I've worked for the same company for 38 years, lived in the same city for 40. I met my wife when we were 12, 48 years ago. And so when people come to me and say, change is good, I tell them, I'm happy. Why don't you change? Note when someone comes to you and say, this is a great restaurant, guess what they tell you? Let's go to the restaurant together. When someone comes in and says, this is a really good scotch. Let's go have it together. It's very interesting when people say change is good for you. They don't say, let's do it together. They say, it's good for you. Why don't you change? Suspicious. Okay. I think change sucks primarily because when you have to change, especially when you're middle to senior management, you are learning and you don't know what you're doing. So you're making a fool of yourself. So some combination of being insecure, imposter syndrome, or just not make, wanting to make a fool of yourself, you basically go into buzzword bingo. So you basically start using words like platform, personalization, data, disruption. Look at all your decks, remove all those words. You don't have anything things to say, right? And remove and and or, and decks are empty mostly. They're just like buzzword bingo terms. Uh, and my old stuff is what does that mean? What does that mean, right? So you have to learn, and so in order to learn, you. While change sucks, irrelevance is even worse. So you have to change, but for people to change, you have to incentivize change. So there are three ways you get people to change. One is you communicate constantly why it's important to change. You just can't say i change because I believe companies only get better when people get better. So here's why we have to change. Here's why we have to change. Here's why we have to change. The second is incenting change. So many companies basically say, this is really important to do, but if you do it, you do it on your own time or, you know what? This area is of great importance, but all the big titles and all the big salaries go to the people who run our big businesses and our big clients. Oh, Okay. So you're telling me that is important, but you're paying for this. You're telling me that's great, but the powerful people do this. I'll do this because here's the key. I don't live on a press release. I live on a paycheck. And if the paychecks go to stay the same, I'm going to stay the same. You can put out your press release and your MA statements and your website where you know your great vision roams and your LinkedIn profile. But what do you actually do? So, Incentives matter, which is how you're incenting people. And it doesn't have to just be money. It can be a combination of, you know, new experiences, autonomy, recognition. But if you don't, it doesn't work. Uh, and if you don't put some of your best people against tomorrow's opportunities and just put them against today's businesses, today's clients, and today's problems, I don't know how you get to the future. Okay, so that's the thing on, on change. And the last thing is Training. So for changing, in addition to communication and incentives, you got to train people. You know, this whole thing about, well, you know, the truck drivers can become code riders. No, they can't. And by the way, the code riders can't become truck drivers. No, they can't either, unless they go to truck school. Uh, and so this whole idea of we're going to get to the future, but we're going to cut all our training budgets, we're going to cut all our incentive plans, and we're going to put out a press release, and change is going to happen. Yeah, in your dreams.
1: So that was... How to do that is this book, on Chain Sucks. Well said. Uh, this question is from Sean. Uh, I really like your articulation of why these times are different. The compounded effect of unprecedented health, political and financial crisis. Uh, what do you think the role of advertising is during these times?
2: So I believe that
1: advertising is important.
2: Um, But I will define it broadly very much like I think every successful company, including yours, uh, defines itself. So I define it as obviously more than developing commercial messages that interrupt people who are trying to watch other content or try to read other content. If you define advertising as that, it is in secular decline. So three years ago, I said that type of advertising will decline by 30% in five years. And I think it's already declined 20% in the first three because when you think about it, most people don't like advertising as defined that way. So for instance, you know, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Scott Galloway or somebody basically said, advertising is a tax that poor people have to pay. So I'll give you an idea. I've been in the business, your business. I go out of my way to avoid every ad. And I spend $99 a month to avoid every ad. Ninety-nine dollars. Okay. Uh and you'll say, what's this 99 dollars about? I basically buy the ad free version of every major subscription. So I'm on Spotify. You know, I have YouTube Red, I'm on Spotify, I'm on Title, but the HD ad-free versions, I'm on Netflix, HBO Max, Criterion Chat, now HBO Max has that, but all of those. Uh I get all my stuff utilizing um, Apple news where there's almost no ads or I can you know, flip through a whole bunch of stuff. So I, I avoided it. So people say, well, Rashad, you know, you're like a rich guy. I said, okay, I, it's $99 a goddamn a month. Okay. Which works out to be about $25 a week, which is the price of two expensive six pack of beers. But okay, if you think that's expensive, if people can't do that, tell me how they can buy a new car. Tell me how they can basically go on a vacation. So in effect, what we have, when you think about Netflix, when you're watching Netflix, there are no ads. And usually when you're watching Netflix, you don't have people doing something on another screen. When there's television going on with ads, people are doing something on another screen. So I believe that marketing is in renaissance. And I believe marketing has been underestimated and not cared about by our clients. They've cared a lot about finance. Let me tell you, finance is bullshit. When now you can do $0 trading and I can basically beat Mark, I I beat Warren Buffett every year, every year. Okay, you know why S&P 500, I buy the S&P 500 ETF, which has beaten Warren Buffett every year and has beaten 85% of everything that Goldman Sachs puts out. Those guys are basically waiting for the machines to come because they're in data driven businesses. A data driven business should be decimated by computers, which is what's going to basically happen. Our business should be fantastic because it's about humans and messiness and heart and minds, but it's increasingly about experiences. So, what I tell people is we've got to help our clients not develop better ads, but better solutions that are more accessible better value and values and better experiences. That's what we should be doing. And in effect, when we do that, we will be in amazing state. And I truly believe that our industry, and I'm not talking to the forays, and I'm talking to the ANA and I'm talking to everybody. My old stuff is like, I was telling the ad age people, I've never heard of an industry where the periodical of the industry pisses on the industry. I've never heard of industries where ANA and FOIAs, I've told CMOs, you guys are idiots. Your, your ability to be a leader is doing like this. I won't follow you anywhere. I'm talking to the boardrooms now because you people are so busy trying to get a job at Facebook and Google that you don't even know what you're doing anymore. Yes, I talk like that, believe it or not, okay? Because I believe our industry is damned important, but we don't have good leaders, so it's time for us to lead. And all decrepit people like me better be moved to the side and you all are the next generation but marketing is great, right? Advertising has disrupted messages that little bit different. Storytelling, very important. Creativity, very important, but doesn't have to be only an ad. I'm not saying ads themselves aren't important, but it doesn't only have to be an ad.
1: I could, could not agree more. Um, this is uh, on that front from Christopher Owens. Uh, at the start of your talk, uh, you said people are missing the plot. A room full of 100 people could reveal that there are 100 different plots given media fragmentation, differing tribes, superstition, education. What are your thoughts on achieving a shared plot among disparate tribes of people?
2: So I will tell you what the shared plot is. When I was writing my book, uh, I had to convince Maurice Levy because he thought like I drunk too much. Uh, He said, I don't understand why you wanna be a writer and all of this stuff. No one's gonna write your book, you're useless. I said, okay, thank you very much. But I said, what if I go and I actually get a book deal done? He says, okay, show me, you can do that. So I said, all right. So I actually got a bidding war between Penguin Random House and HarperCollins for a book, right? And I said, okay, see, this is for real. But I had to write a book proposal. But when I was talking to them, this is the answer. Penguin Random House basically said, who's your target audience? So I said, everybody. They said, you can't have a target audience of everybody. I said, I'm talking about humans. I said, most non-fiction business books don't sell anything because we target such a small target and we want a small portion of the target. I want to talk to everybody. And I said, these questions i answered are human questions for every industry, not just advertising and marketing. And they said, that doesn't make any sense. So I said, okay, you don't make sense either. So I went with Collins, okay, who understood what I was trying to do. So what is common is humanity, right? What is common is humans. And I'll tell you what humans want or I think what humans want. I happen to be one human and I'm surrounded by a few, but I can't tell you what you want, but I think this. Okay. I believe what combines humans and what is clear to humans is humans basically like to learn. Humans love connections, including with people and passions. So they love, love to love. So learning, loving, and human beings always have to deal with loss. So loss is the third thing, which is loss because eventually they die, they lose things, they lose jobs. Loss is part of life, okay? Which also, in some ways, loss teaches you, which is an interesting way of learning. So loss, learning, and life is a commonality. So in effect, my basic belief, the common plot, is life is a journey through time in search of meaning. Okay. And for most people, this is what sort of, they make their own meaning. And most of that, the commonality is I want to be connected. I want to be recognized. I want to be loved. I want to grow. I want to feel connected. So in a chapter on talent, I basically say, yes, everybody wants money, power and fame. That's important. But eventually the companies that do really well give people growth, connection and purpose. Right. Right. Do I like the purpose and values of the company? Do I like the, my bosses, the people I work with? Can I grow? Can I grow my own skill sets? Uh, and those are human things that everybody looks at, which are you. And therefore, for success, you need balance, unity, and integration. And what I'm very pissed off about, whether it's Facebook or Fox or CNN, is they don't think about. They talk about fair and balance, but they're basically skewed and wild. Okay, and. We've lived in a world of polarization. So I, you, I'm sure you all know this. I, I tell, when I used to work in agencies, I would tell clients, hey, fire up all your Facebook pages and fire up all your Google pages and just look at each other's Facebook and Google pages. And they said, oh my God. I said, yeah, oh my God, right? It's been customized to make you feel goddamn good. You're in the front of a goddamn roulette machine. Or, 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 a, or a slot machine that almost pays off every time. Uh, and the entire thing has been engaged to enrage. And, and, you know, I've been on a case which, even though I presented Facebook, they've been mad at me for two years because I said the company had no morals. New York Times headline, okay? And I said, like, they have a controlling weakness. It's called Mark Zuckerberg. The guy's a, he's a, a brilliant man who has the wisdom of a man-child, or not even a child. Uh, and so to a great extent, you know, my stuff is he's got to be controlled. And you know why? Just notice all the amazing board of director people that have left that company in the last year. Reed Hastings, Ken Chanal. Just look at the people who are amazing people who have left that board. And, and so those are the things that we have to call a turn on the table just because someone's a billionaire. Bullshit. You know, as I would tell Carolyn Everson, I said, I don't care. You can tell my clients whatever you want. I'm going to say what I want. And guess who the clients listen to me. And that's also calling out the turd on the table, even though I might be completely mad, which I probably am. But the whole idea is you must take a passionate stand. And that's what human beings do. And that's what I think we need to do. We can't basically say the data told me to do this. And one thing I will tell you this, I'll give you a, le- a trick. which, will, which this, is, this is not in my books. It's free. So, Here's an interesting thing. What I when people say like, hey, how do I get better in any industry? Right. So I said, do this. Next time you talk to anybody, especially your boss, and you don't say, Here's what this, you know, I put all this data together and here's what it says. Uh, not interested. They could do that themselves. Give them your perspective. Right. Just like I basically said, this is where I think COVID-19 fits in this frame of life. What's your perspective? Give them your point of view. So like I basically says, this will show the fault line in our problems with African-Americans. Give a point of view. And third is give them a provocation. So in my case, hey, it's any business plan you wrote in December 2019 is outdated. Don't live on it. So I give them a perspective, I give them a point of view, I give them a provocation. Whenever you present to your boss, to your partners, to your client, and you can do this in previous life, think of doing at least one of those three. Otherwise, I don't know exactly why you exist. They could have read all the rest of the stuff. And that is a big part of human because humans want to be involved and valuable. And I think humanity is what we are forgetting, which is why my book is Staying Human, right? Right? Not staying digital, not staying data, not staying rich, staying human.
1: I think that's a wonderful note to end our Q&A on. I know, thank you everyone for submitting questions. I know there's many, many other questions that uh, you sent to me both privately and then um, in the chat. Um, We won't be able to have time to get to quite all of them, um, but uh, I'd like to just sincerely thank Rashad, uh, thank you for spending your time. Thank you for sharing your ideas. These are are wonderful. And you're most welcome. I will tell you this. I'll give you this.
2: For those of you who have questions, if you either have me as a connection on LinkedIn or you become a connection of LinkedIn, send me the question. I'll send you the answer.
1: Awesome. I really appreciate that.
2: Perfect. So, and uh, meanwhile, once again, as a salesperson, buy my book. I need to keep my publisher happy. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Yeah, I'll go ahead and share the screen so everyone has that information right in front of them. Um, All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks all.
0: Well, if you felt inspired, you have a link to Richard's book on the description of this podcast, and you can send your questions to him on Twitter, on at Richard, that's at R-I-S-H-A-D. And on LinkedIn, just look for Richard Tabakuwala. Thank you, Chris, and the rest of the team at TRG's Digital nerve for making this happen. We'll be on the lookout for more content as Lerma keeps rethinking how to help our clients navigate well, what will be the future on changes consumers are facing in the world today. Please rate us and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, This is your host, Francisco Cárdenas. Keep giving a shit.